All right, welcome to the first of its kind, world-changing manufacturers network. Lisa Ryan has her ears to the ground and her heart in the game. Get ongoing education and new connections right here with Lisa and the manufacturers network. Buckle your seat, listen, and spread the word. Here's Lisa. Hey, it's Lisa Ryan from the Manufacturers Network podcast, and I am excited to introduce you to Carol Cambridge. Carol Cambridge is CEO of the Stay Safe Project, an international conference speaker and workplace violence expert. Highly profiled for her expertise, she is often sought by the media for comments when tragedies occur. Carol has been interviewed by ABC, NBC, USA Today, CBC, and as far away as news channel Asia in Singapore. Her career began as a communications specialist in emergency services and disaster preparedness with a Canadian law enforcement agency. Today, 27 years later, Carol has taught over a quarter of a million people how to make smart, powerful, and life-saving decisions. When Carol is not speaking in training, she is at home in Glendale, Arizona with the love of her life and three beautiful dogs. Carol, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, you have such a fascinating background and what you've been doing. So just share a little bit about how you got started and how you ended up where you did. Well, I came to the States a number of years ago, and I was either overqualified or underqualified for absolutely everything. And uh, not wanting to start working back into shift work, I realized that there was a hole in corporate America, specifically in manufacturing, the construction industry, electrical uh, industry. And I just thought I have a wealth of information that can help people. And I think the biggest thing over the years that I've learned is that we don't necessarily have good critical thinking when it comes to emergencies and crisis and, you know, dealing with with people who are irate and disgruntled employees. So I was able to translate what I had spent my much of my career at that point learning and was able to translate that into a way that people were interested in. And it was very helpful to people. Yeah. I mean, it's almost unfortunate that with all the workplace violence and everything that we see that makes the news that this has become such a, a big part of your career. But when put in those types of environments, those type of situations, it's really good, especially in manufacturing and everywhere, that people know exactly what to do. That's right. And what happens and what I see a lot is that people think that they know what they're going to do in a crisis until that crisis actually happens. And then when their emotions are involved, they see people that they work with or that they love that are involved in a, in a horrific situation. We go right to that flight and, and fright freeze brain. And so what I see a lot is people that think they know, they will swear up and down. They know exactly what to do. But when I do some of the experiential training that I do, we find that people are very surprised by their own responses and they just don't react the way that they assumed they would have. So it's a good wake up for them. 
So take us through, I know that what you do is really experiential. So when it comes to checking out, and I guess proving to people what how they actually re react instead of how they think they'll react, how do you bring that to life? Well, there's a couple different ways. In, in the workplace violence piece, when I'm doing training, what we do is I will throw out a scenario to people and I will say, buddy here in the room, you are now part of this risk assessment team. So I give them a little bit of the scenario and then I'll say, when you ask me the right questions in the right order, so to speak, and there's not exact rightness, but Often what happens is they will think about protecting, for instance, the one employee instead of, oh, we have an entire plant full of employees. And, right. and so you have to think about both of those. And most of us don't have that ability. We go to one specific area. So I'll ask them. Uh, they start asking me questions. I'll supply them with a little bit more information. And then we play out the scenario many of them are very surprised because they'll put step nine, 10 or 11 in front of maybe the first steps that they should have done. For instance, let's say it's a high risk termination. This person has been dismissed, but there is fear or there has been a threat that this person may come back into the plant. Uh, and perhaps this person has a history of owning weapons and, and they're very mm -hmm. familiar with weapons. And through the risk assessment, they this person is becoming more and more dangerous and all of a sudden they're 24 hours into this but they haven't shared any information with the people in the plant and it's hot and it's in the summertime and so all of the doors are open because they don't have air conditioning in the plant and all of a sudden they realize they put all these other steps into place and they've perhaps spent a lot of money but this person could walk through any one of those doors and start shooting at any time. Wow. So that's how we play it. Now with the active shooter, it's a little bit more, well, it's more highly charged, let's say. Uh, yeah. We actually put them into a situation of a mock drill. We give all the proper warnings for people ahead of time. And then we actually put them in that situation where we dim the lights and they will hear the sounds of shots fired. I don't use weaponry i'm not trying to scare anybody but just the sounds the dimming of lights, they're told that there's a shooter and that they need to hide or get out of the room and we plant people with disabilities and we just watch what happens and people typically will do absolutely everything wrong they either right. they don't know where to hide they all go out the same exits that they entered they just do things that we're trained to do and what we're trained to do is how to respond in a fire drill not stand up walk slowly toward the exits be kind to everybody but in an active shooter who wants to be the tallest person in the room not me not you lisa right. yeah. <laughs> And, and so they go out the doors without looking. I never say where the shooter is. The shooter could be outside. We do have someone playing the role of an active shooter and they'll have a Nerf gun. And so it can't hurt anybody. Most of the time, somebody who gets hit with it, they don't even realize they're hit with that Nerf bullet. Right. But people come back afterwards and they'll say, oh my gosh, I, I never thought to look at what exits we have in this room. I, I never thought 
you know, I had an assumption. So it challenges their assumptions. It challenges their biases. It challenges them because they thought they would have perhaps fought or gone after the attacker. When in actual fact, they hid. Their automatic instinct was to hide. And none of those reactions are wrong. It's just what happens to us in a crisis. So through the debrief and the follow-up training, then we do a second one and they will actually see the difference in the room, mm -hmm. how they save their lives, but they could also save the lives of their coworkers. And especially in a manufacturer setting, because you typically have so many objects that could be used as weapons. Right. Where, where right. perhaps if you were in an office building, there wouldn't be the quick access to those kinds of, of, of weapons. So yeah. we really have people think through and, and start using those critical thinking skills in a little different way. Now, the thing that, that comes to mind to me is as much as we both fly of being on an airplane and you hear that, that safety announcement over and over and over again. You can pretty much do it by heart. You know exactly where the exits are. You know exactly, you know exactly what you're going to do. But until that plane is actually going down, you have no idea. And you think in a plant environment, we never or rarely have that conversation. So how in the world can you think about what you're even going remotely come close to what you're going to do? Exactly. So much of this, we just hear it comes in one ear out here. When you when you shared that example of being on a plane, I think of my friend Jackie and uh, it was, gosh, it's probably almost 30 years ago. She was involved. She was on Air Egypt that was hijacked. Mm. She was shot. There was a lot of people killed on that plane. She was shot in the head. Thankfully, Jackie survived. And without going into her whole story, I remember saying to Jackie afterwards, besides the fact that you thought this plane is going down or that you may be shot in the head, what was going through your mind initially when those hijackers first said that? And she said, my first thought was, I don't really pay attention to what the flight attendants say. Mm -hmm. She said, I just thought because they were going dropping quickly, the oxygen all came down and she's like, what should I do? And so it was a real honest to the core answer. And I think what happens is we train situational awareness. And it's one thing that we don't typically train our supervisors, our managers, and we certainly don't train our employees. And that's why the experiential training is so effective. It gets people thinking. Now, is it on its own a, a total behavior changer? A little bit more so than if I were sharing the story and people right, right. just listening to me because we know that they don't remember that because it's actually an experience that internally kind of causes them some fright or friction. They're, they're aware of that emotional response. They will start paying attention. And then what we do is we also, um, when we go in and do this training in companies and manufacturers, we supply them with a video series. And this video series is small snip snippets. It's two to five minutes in length. And so it's something that they can use in their safety meetings to remind them. And there is a section on situational awareness and, and all these other things. 
it's keeping that on the top of their mind and so that it's part of their conversation. Now it goes away, but the next time we hear a media story about an active shooter somewhere, it rises that conversation to the top again. And people will think, gee, what do we do? What doors do we get out? Do we have a system for warning other employees? That kind of thing. Well, and you stated at the beginning of their time together of that summer in the manufacturing plant with all the doors open and you just released or fired that problem child of an employee. So what do you think are the top things that most leaders do wrong when it comes to a termination? And then how do we evaluate the risk that goes along with that? Great, great question. So the first part of that is that most leaders have a knee-jerk reaction. They have a problem employee, somebody who's made a threat, and they instantly want to terminate immediately. And manufacturers across the country are notorious for having several different locations. You know, they could have five locations, they could have 40 or 50 locations across the U.S., but their human resource professional is perhaps in a different state. And so they, they want to do this termination. So it's an operations manager or plant manager that's handling the termination and they decide they want to do it right away. They do it without that risk assessment. So they may know some information about this person, but they didn't even check with human resources. Had they done that, they would have found that there's a history and a very serious history that would lead them to handle the termination differently. Mm. And, and so leaders tend to react too fast. And then when they start doing an initial risk assessment, they forget that the situation is fluid. So the risk can change. So my suggestion to people is always, if you need to send that person home for the day, suspend them if you need to for two or three days. Because then that employee thinks, well, okay, I, I maybe have, I don't know if I'm suspended with pay or without pay, but they're not in that panic situation yet mm. because we don't know what's going on at home. And what's happening at home is just as important as what's happening at the workplace. And so I'll just paint a scenario. I'm, I'll actually share a story with you. And this company felt that they had done everything right. There's a manufacturing, it was a small manufacturers. This person was sharing this in a training in a seminar that it was doing. And she said, you know, it's a family business. This employee had been with us for 17 years. We knew the whole story. He's actually a good guy, but he'd just become very uh, disgruntled, unhappy lately, abusive towards other employees. We couldn't handle the behavior anymore. So I sent him home. Well, drinking was a part of the problem. And this man had become an alcoholic over the years. And that particular night, he picked up the phone and he called several of his friends. And he said, look, do me a favor. Whatever you do, do not go to work tomorrow morning. Promise me you won't go. Mm. Now, he called several different people, leaving a very, some of them he spoke to personally, some of them he left a message. One or two out of these several employees contacted the HR person at home because she was part of this family owned business. They called her about 11 o'clock at night and they said, this is what he said. She right away called the sheriff's department, made arrangements. They were only a plant that worked two shifts, day shift and afternoon shift. They didn't work overnight. 
So the sheriff met her canine unit. They went through the entire plant looking for things, looking for bombs, any kinds of things that had been stored there. And they swept it clean around 10 o'clock. And they did open up to let the early morning shift in. They hired some off-duty officers. And around 10 o'clock that morning, that former employee called and apologized and said, you know, I made these threats. I know it was wrong. I apologize. I shouldn't have done that. And so he backed off. Well, everyone in the seminar was clapping and giving her kudos, as I did as well, because she did handle it very well. But then I asked this question. What did you do with the other two or three employees that never called you about the threat? Oh, wow. Bam. Bam. And she said, it never occurred to me. I never thought about it. Wow. And I said, why do you think they didn't report this? So it woke everybody else up in the room and they realized everything she did was correct. But here's what happens. We have one or two people making all the decisions around a termination. What I always suggest is that we have a team of people. I like to call it a react team. And it's one of the suggestions I always put in place when I work with uh, manufacturers is that you have a REACT team. And what I call it, it's an acronym, really. It's a Rapid Emergency Action Capabilities Team. So whether it's a threat, a workplace violence incident that has actually happened. I mean, we have situations where people run over other people with a forklift or there's an assault on the plant floor or they've used a tool as a weapon to threaten someone. So these aren't unusual. And and a team of people together working to handle a threat is a much better choice and not a large team. I had one manufacturer who told me that they had a termination team. And I said, okay, that's kind of scary to me. What do you mean by termination team? He said, when we terminate someone, we have seven people on our termination team. Wow. Um, Oh, that's such a bad idea. (laughs) Because the person that you're terminating, and and I'm talking high risk terminations. Right, right. I'm talking about behavioral problems on the job. Do you think they want to be blindsided by seven of their coworkers or seven of their supervisors terminating them? That actually creates a more hostile environment. When I talk about the REACT team, I'm talking about a team that helps evaluate the risk. The actual termination should have no more than two people in the room okay. at, at the time, because anything more than that seems like they're being ganged up on. So the second part of their question, and do I have time to answer it, Lisa? I should ask um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're getting to the end, but it's still it's so fascinating that I, I know that I want to know more. Okay, well, let me just give a few quick tips about evaluating. And, and that is, what, what is the reason? Is narcotics, is alcohol a part of the problem? Maybe they're not drinking on the job, but their behavior is a result of that alcoholism. Do they have a history of violence? Are they bullying other employees? Uh, are they associated with a hate group, which we're seeing much more of across this country right now? Are they not taking accountability for their own behavior? So everything that happens to them, they're blaming on the company. They're blaming on the supervisor. They're blaming on another team member. If they have that preoccupation with blaming others, if they have this 
all or nothing kind of mentality. It's all this way or it's all that way. They can't see any middle ground. That's concerning to me. Somebody who has an unstable personal life. So if we know they've just divorced or they're in the middle of a divorce or a separation, we know there's a financial hardship. It could be that their child has been diagnosed with cancer. Just to keep up with all of their co-pays, they have had to foreclose on their house. They're going to lose their home, lose their security. All of these things play into the emotions of that person. And as much as we like to think we leave those emotions at home and we don't bring them to work, that's not in fact what happens. So when you're terminating someone like that, we have to make sure that we provide some emotional stability for that person. And we're, we don't want to up the fear because people who are really desperate will do desperate things. And we want right. to avoid that. So the higher the risk. So if, if they have a tendency to provoke fear in other employees, for instance, all of those kinds of things we evaluate ahead of time. And the more check marks, so to say, <laughs> that we put Uh, beside these things, the higher the risk of this person. And then often we need to bring in some outside help, a protection team. We may have to have law enforcement on site, a lot of different security protocols that we would then put in place, depending how high that risk is. Right. So it really is the couple ideas of sending that person home for the day and probably even with pay, as much as you hate to do it, at least there's something giving them some opportunity to go home and cool down and think about it. Small investment versus, like you said, a seven-person termination team. Holy cow. Yes. Getting to know your employees, getting to know a little bit about your employees. The thing that really stuck out in my mind was the people who didn't report it, of creating a safe enough culture that, that employees feel comfortable enough if they do get one of those dreadful calls like that, that they know the people to get in touch with and they feel safe and comfortable in doing so. And that's certainly not something that's going to happen overnight, but these tips to just start paying attention to now are so critical. It's so true. And I want to give you a shout out for the work that you do, Lisa, because when you have a more engaged community within your work environment, a caring, engaged community, we see less workplace violence. Mm-hmm. We see less problems. Now, it doesn't mean that it's a bad hire. You could have a very good hire. You could have a very engaging employee, a, a good scenario, and still have a problem because this person begins spiraling. And so you right. might not see it for seven years, eight years, 10 years, 15 years. So as engaging and wonderful as your work environment is, you still need to have these procedures for terminations in place and and security protocols that you can go to immediately. So as we start to wrap it up, what would be your your best tip for somebody to get started uh, as far as doing that assessment and evaluating those risks? My number one is always put a REACT team together. Okay. And I've actually worked with a few React teams where I've coached them how to put that team together and get a variety of people on that team. For instance, a lot of times they will put it C-level heavy. So we'll have our CEO, CFO, et cetera, et cetera. I want 
leaders from the floor. I want plant right. managers on this React team. I want to see someone who, for instance, is trained. If you have a trained paramedic, or if you have someone who has retired from the military and has vast experience or retired from law enforcement, you want at least one of those folks on your React team. You want your HR representative on your React team, but you want a, a different variety of people so that they can assess situations. And then we can train a small team like that what to look for, how to assess, and what security protocols need to be put in place. But you want to get that heartbeat of what's happening on the plant floor, especially when we're working different shifts. And especially right. if you have a troublemaker who maybe has gone from one shift to a different shift. Right. And Carol, how is it that you work with your clients and what's the best way for them to get a hold of you if they'd like to learn more? Well, we work in a variety of different ways. We do coaching, consulting, training, uh, speaking, uh, speak a lot at associations, not so much this last year, as you're well yeah. aware. Uh, but we do training, whether in person or via Zoom. I know people are tired of that, but we do do that. And the best way is to just give us a call. Let us know. We do a 30-minute free discovery call. So whether there's a current situation going on, you're not sure what next steps to take, just give us a shout. Our number is 623-242-8797. And we make that discovery call completely about the situation or the client. It's not about me or selling our services. It's about how can we serve and help that situation. Well, Carol, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. I mean, I could talk to you all day because it's just so fascinating. So thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Lisa. I appreciate you. Well, I'm Lisa Ryan, and this is the Manufacturers Network Podcast, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Hey, do me a favor. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and give us a five-star rating. Also, feel free to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can grow the network and connect more fantastic folks just like you. You can either go to the website at manufacturers-network.com or share the podcast on your LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you and your industry friends hang out. The bigger and faster we grow this network, the stronger and deeper community we will have. I appreciate you. Thank you.